Today, I am here with Mr. Dan Munro, who I've known for a number of years now. So I'm very honored to be interviewing him today around manipulation. Now, as far as I'm concerned, Dan has one of those brains that sometimes I can barely believe it even fits inside his skull. <laughs> it's that much content <laughs> to actually hold it all in there. But genuinely, all jokes aside, Dan is an absolute genius when it comes to things like psychology and uh, human behavior and understanding it. Now, I actually met Dan a number of years ago when he became my coach. We've become friends since. He's also trained me to become a coach. So our relationship has been many, many years now. But without, without question, Dan is one of the people that I know that has one of the deepest levels of knowledge when it comes to psychology. So I'm very honored to be here with him today to do a bit of a chat around manipulation. Being of manipulation, that was some solid flattery there. It worked very well. A nice big ego. Like it wasn't yeah, negative. well, it's all true. It's all true. So yeah, let's just get straight into it then. So, <clears throat> Dan, I know this is one of your one of your favorite topics because one of your specialities is working with people like people pleasers and, and everything like that. So I'm going to mostly hand the reins to you so you do most of the talking today. So I'm going to start off with the question is like, how would you actually define manipulation? What would you say it actually is? Well, there's what it actually is, and there's what people mean when they use that word, I guess. What it actually is, is just cause and effect. It's any form of interaction where one person causes the other. Like right now, what I'm saying is a direct reaction to your question, which was the cause. So you've manipulated me. Like you've limited the range of everything I could talk about with that question in a subtle way. I mean, I could refuse to answer the question as talk about something random. You could say, like, how do you define manipulation? Well, I had porridge for breakfast, but I'm not going to. I feel very compelled to answer the question. Mm -hmm. And so every interaction, every statement and question we make moves the other person. It writes pathways in their brain without them having a choice about it. It influences us like the sun makes us squint our eyes or, you know, uh, the ground makes us change our stepping. Can't help it. Can't help but be manipulated by every interaction. But of course, what people mean by that word is the negative connotation. Mm-hmm. And that's probably what we'll talk about today. The reason I sort of do a big pointless rant about manipulation being this general thing is the best way to manage it is to understand that it's happening all the time. That there's no such thing as being uninfluenced by someone you interact with. As soon as they speak, they've changed you and that's beyond your control. Even if you try to resist the change, the fact that you're resisting is something that they provoked. So to even resist manipulation is to be manipulated in some way. But of course, there's better reactions than others. That's, I think, where we'll end up going today. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, what most people mean when they say the word manipulation is, I think usually they think it's deliberate and will challenge that maybe today. Because I think a lot of manipulation is unintentional or subconscious. Mm. Or even when it's intentional, it's not what they really deep down want and so on. So it gets kind of murky about motive. Uh, But they mean is basically it's if you manipulate me, it costs me for your benefit. That's what most people mean by that word. You're controlling me for your own gains and it's likely to hurt me either short term or long term, at least emotionally in some way. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what most people mean by manipulation is a deliberate attempt to move the other person in a way where they lose and you win. Um, yeah, 
that would be my definition that I'd get started with probably. Okay. So where do you think that manipulation comes up the most in your line of work? Because I'm not as advanced to understand manipulation to the level that you have studied it. But I know that there's obvious intention, obviously there's intentional manipulation, there's unintentional, there's conscious, there's unconscious, there's extreme, like there's the obvious one, you can, you know, there's people that have been beaten up by their partners, and then mm. there's very subtle manipulation. So because it's so broad, let's talk about what, where it mostly crosses your path in the line of work that you do. Well, I guess that would be people pleasing. Uh, one of the lesser recognized categories of manipulation uh, we generally think of someone who pleases us as being a good person mm -hmm. and in my line of work we challenge that idea quite strongly not just the idea that a good person is even a thing but the idea that pleasing someone is actually for their benefit it's so often really the pleaser who gains or seems to think they gain uh, and the other person can suffer in the long term for example if i please you into being into a relationship with me. I pretend to be something I'm not, something you like. You could waste years with me. Years where you don't get to meet someone who's a genuine fit for you. Years where you are sort of frustrated and bored and irritated by my passivity and so on, so on. Years of like you sticking with the obligation and commitment and me guilt tripping you and sulking and so on to keep you there until you realize that we're not actually a good fit and I've been fake the whole time. You know, that kind of people pleasing is what comes up a lot in my work. And this is where we really get into both the concept of unintentional uh, manipulation and subconscious. So when I say unintentional manipulation, I mean, you're manipulated, but I wasn't trying to manipulate you. So maybe this is more on your side of the fence, like you have an insecurity and I've triggered it, but I haven't really done anything objectively wrong. Let's say somebody speaks loudly at a meeting and another person feels intimidated. Mm. The person speaking loudly isn't necessarily bullying. They aren't dominating. It's just no one else is talking, so they talk. It's, they've, they've done nothing wrong by any standards, but you can still be manipulated because you have fears around I don't know, extroverted people or loud noises or something like that. Right? So that would mm -hmm. be unintentional manipulation. So somebody might uh, start people-pleasing me because they think that I don't like them, but I've actually given them no evidence of that. This is all in their head. So I've manipulated them without even meaning to, without trying to, you know. Uh, yeah, so people pleasing is largely subconscious. People pleasers don't know they're doing it a lot of the time uh, until someone like me makes them aware that what they're doing is categorically manipulation for their own gains. Um, yeah, so People pleasing the, the art of making someone like you by pretending or behaving in a way that they prefer. That's the, the type of manipulation that comes on most of my line of work. Yeah. So interestingly, you just mentioned around if somebody speaks very loudly in a meeting, for example. Now, that also is something that I hear in my line of work as well, where people say they're very dominant or they try to manipulate people because they overpower me or they... A, they try and dominate other people in a meeting but what you've just described could actually suggest that that is just who they are that could just be their personality so if that's the case how would you then suggest that people can like tell the difference between is this just my interpretation or is this person actually doing the thing that I think they're doing 
And this is why I brought up early the unintentional subconscious elements of manipulation is if you go down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out whether or not it's happening, what the true motives are, so on, uh, you might end up getting nowhere at all. Mm-hmm. It's not the, the most helpful line to take. Mm-hmm. Essentially, manipulation exists if you think it exists. Now, understanding that manipulation and deliberate attempt to harm you are not necessarily the same thing can really help. Like one way to look at it is nobody who does what we'll call that negative manipulation that kind of cause pain for their gain. Nobody does that out from a healthy place. Nobody does that from uh, a place of confidence, a place of high self-worth. So if it's happening, understand in a way, I think the best way to understand it is that they're sick. This is a symptom of their sickness. So either that's happening, either the person's sick, and this is a symptom that they suffer from in the long run, at least as, as much as anybody else does, you know, narcissists don't end up very happy in their old age. I guarantee you that, you know, like nobody mm-hmm. wins with this kind of behavior in the long run, you know, and so either they're doing it from their place or they're not trying to manipulate you and you're just reacting from your own wounds and trauma to relatively harmless behavior that wasn't designed to harm anybody. Either way, you don't really need to know why they're doing this. All you need to know is you've reacted in a way that is not beneficial to you. And in most circumstances, that's about all you have any control over. So the loud person at the meeting, they could be deliberately bullying you, or they could just be a loud person. It doesn't actually matter which one it is. What matters is how you're reacting and what you're going to do about that. Because no matter why they're doing it, and we'll get into response later, your response will be the same. You know, whether they're doing it unintentionally and so on, or whether they're deliberately trying to get you, either way, you respond the same way to manage your own Mm -hmm. having been manipulated, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was a very long-winded way of saying it's almost not worth going there because... The only way to find out is actually to talk to the person, the only way to find someone's motives. They're the only one who can give you the closest to the truth. And if you're talking to a sick person, they're probably going to lie about it. And if you're talking to a healthy person, they'll be honest about it, but they'll give the same answers. You won't know, you know, <laughs> unless you get sort of training and so on. Uh, it'll be some time before you know whether you're dealing with a liar or an honest person or somewhere in between ultimately won't help you that much other than just to satisfy your curiosity as to human behavior and social dynamics. But I'd say if you're being hurt by manipulation, first stop is you've got to sort your own shit out. Later on, you can learn about other people and, and the different reasons why this happens. Does that make sense? I think it does. And I've, as a, if when you're talking and I look away from the screen, it's just so I can put something in my memory. So I don't forget it, writing it down basically. But one thing that I think is really interesting in in this type of conversation and this awareness is that whenever we have our own reaction, I've heard many people actually associate that as a gift because what it's doing is highlighting something in us that needs some work or some attention or or whatever it is. It could actually lead us down a path of self-discovery. The fact that why is this thing actually triggering me, but it's not triggering Mm. Joe Bloggs over there or not triggering, triggering them. So 
it's really interesting that we can actually use this in a way of self-development as opposed to blaming the other person. And I actually also wrote down uh, very similar to what you said is that even if you were to go and ask the person, because I think you're bang on right, that if you have this view of what this person is doing, whether it's your interpretation or whether it's actually real that they're intentionally doing it, if you ask them, you're then dependent on them telling you A, the truth, and B, that they're even aware that they're doing it. Because if it's driven from their unconscious, they're, not, they're possibly not aware of it. And if they are aware of it, they might just think, well, I don't see the big deal of it. It's not, not necessarily my motivation to, to have that impact on you. It's just part of my personality. So you, you leave yourself very vulnerable and at the mercy of them responding in a way that actually works for your rule book as opposed to what so you, basically you could end in this very entangled conversation and it doesn't actually go in anywhere you don't get anything sorted from it but I think you're bang on right that regardless whether it's intentional or not it's still having that impact on you and then I'm, I'll be interested in what your thoughts are around to the best way to handle that maybe probably a little bit later I've still got some further more questions here so when do you think people are most likely to manipulate well, again, you got to start with the premises. It's always happening all the time. There's always an agenda. There's no unintentional behavior. <clears throat> a person will often not know what their intentions are. Like uh, we we're talking about before, you ask a people pleaser why they're doing something. I'm just trying to be helpful. And they actually believe that. Mm. It's not the truth, but they actually believe it. You know, a lot of my coaching is just, really? Is that really why you do it? And then we <laughs> dig in and they find out like, oh, God, is that why I do it? Oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, so assume the manipulation is happening all the time. But when we say the way mm -hmm. I interpret your question, when yeah. it's most likely to happen is when are we most likely to be harmed by, you know, uh, malignant manipulation? There's certain times where we're most open to it. Uh, general kind of psychological states. One, ironically, is when we're sure we can't be. And after working with prisoners, I learned that one their favorite target, you know, if you want to corrupt one of the prison officers, you look for the guy who thinks he can't be corrupted. That's the easiest target, basically. One of the easiest anyway. Another time is kind of obvious generic response here, but it's when you have low self-worth. When you're in doubt and you don't trust yourself, the door's wide open for someone else to insert themselves into that position of authority. Mm. You know, so uh, anybody who's either long term traumatized with self-worth issues or they're in that vulnerable spot, you know, you think about the rebound, how often people will sleep with mm. someone they really shouldn't have slept with. You know, how did that person get in there? It's because the door is wide open when you're like, oh, my God, does nobody even love me anymore? And you've got that doubt going. So when you have serious self-doubt, uh, that's. You know, I've worked with a lot of psychopaths and, and antisocial personalities and narcissistic personalities, and their favorite person is the person who's unsure of themselves. That's mm. the person we can go like, I'll be sure of you for you. I'll come in and do that job. And then they start playing it like a leverage. You know, they do the hot and cold thing, the gaslighting, as we call it, make you doubt your own reality. And this is how you can create a person who's easy to manipulate. Get them questioning what they were certain about. It's not the same as curiosity. It's more like insecurity. So once someone gets insecure, you can be like, I'll inject in certainty. They'll cling to it because humans have that neediness for certainty. I'll give them some certainty and then I'll become their source of certainty. 
and then I can sort of wriggle my way into their life and you know with other tactics you know remove other sources that might counter my views and so on isolate the target that kind of thing mm. generally isolated low self-worth or arrogant those are the those are the worst places to be in in terms of you know that's how you manipulate someone so if you think of someone like what you might call high self-worth but open to manipulation that arrogance you think of all the people that were incited to riot in the capital in the united states those weren't necessarily low self-worth people it's quite a brave thing to do actually um you know they they must have at least some of them been aware of the potential costs of their behavior um but this they were actually played on the whole like you can't manipulate us that's what the whole QAnon conspiracy thing was like the government's manipulating us but we're not going to fall for that so that mentality of you can't manipulate us made them so easy to move go right on the capital show them that you can't be manipulated right it was it was used as the main uh, driver and pushed hundreds of people to commit crimes that are going to ruin the rest of their lives you know there are guys currently in prison because of that so you can see the kind of spectrum. You don't have to have low self-worth to be manipulated, but you do have to have a kind of weakness around being open to manipulation, essentially. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's other states, but when you say most likely, that's what comes to mind, those sort of mm-hmm. categories. It's interesting how, because I, I have a slightly different view on the essence of somebody arrogant as well, because you mentioned somebody with low self-worth and arrogant. To me, somebody arrogant has low self-worth. It's almost like sure. an overcompensation of because they feel a bit shit about themselves, I'm going to try and overcompensate and prove to the rest of the world that I am this thing that actually they don't believe that they are themselves. So th- to me, they're, that's, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me that those people are very easy to manipulate. I, I'm very interested when you said um, some of the people that think that the people that are most sure that they can't be manipulated who are, well, not, not who are those people, like don't name them, don't people's names in the call, but what, what type of personality is that? What type of person thinks that they can't be manipulated? I don't know if there's a really a type, but think of it as a kind of defense mechanism, the self-view. You know, you mentioned before that an arrogant person doesn't have high self-worth, and I'd agree because it just depends on the definition of what self-worth means. When I say they have high self-worth, I'd say high self-regard. They think of themselves very highly. It doesn't mean they're actually confident. You know, sure. they're, okay. they're obviously it's on a foundation of sand, this whole image they have of themselves. When I say low self-worth, I mean the person actually thinks of themselves as a bad person and is very harsh on themselves. High self-worth or arrogant um, would mean that they think, look in the mirror and go, you are fucking awesome. You know, and that isn't true. And then deep down they know it. There's a little niggle at the back of their mind like, are you sure? But, you know. <laughs> That's what I meant anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, which also kind of answers the, that next question a little bit, which is that person who's arrogant is really the person who's desperate to believe that they're confident, they're desperate to believe that they mm-hmm. cannot be hurt, that they're tough, that they're mentally resilient. You know, <laughs> there's a, some old adage saying from someone, I don't know, totally misquoted and not know who I'm stealing from here. But if a person tells you that there's something, they're almost definitely not that thing. So if someone goes, you know, look, at the end of the day, I'm an honest person. All you know about them is that they're a liar. That's all you know at this stage. Wow. If I'm a caring person, you know, I just really care about people. You're like, that's probably a pretty selfish person right there. They don't know it, 
but they really want to believe that they're that. So someone, they might not say like, you can't manipulate me specifically, though some people do say that, but they'll say something that kind of implies the same thing. Like I'm independent or and I do my, I do things my own way and I don't, I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks of me. People that use that kind of language, are oh, they're ripe for manipulation. Because you, mm. you, you leverage that. You, you'd, you'd, you'd manipulate someone like that with flattery. They'd be like, you know, I could tell you're really tough, actually. Nothing gets through your wall. And that's, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to give people manipulation tips, but that's how you would wriggle in with a person like that is <laughs> you'd become their cheerleader. And then you'd cheerlead them into the direction you want. Sure. Like, okay, you're going to take that from them, you know, and you can egg them on and so on. Mm. Um, and you, you can make them feel like they're part of a group. That's the easiest way to manipulate someone is to make them feel belonged. Belonged? Mm -hmm. Make them feel like they belong sure. and then that they don't want to be ostracized from the group. And then the whole group moves. They have to move with the group. That's where you get, you know, the, the conspiracy communities and so on is they might go, oh, this is a bit off, but I want to stay in the group. So the group generally runs towards the edge of the cliff together um but yeah the person who's really really stuck and they, you can tell by their language they're stuck on believing that they are a certain thing a very admirable uh virtuous thing and they're not willing to let that go and that thing is something that can't be manipulated it can't be moved it's a strong tough thing hmm. that's the person who's you know if i'm a prisoner I'm looking for the guard who thinks of themselves like that, and I'm going to go blow some smoke up their ass and get myself a new friend, you know? Mm, interesting. It's, in terms of, uh, it's very interesting all that, the, when people say I'm this or I'm that, because one of the things I'm always trying to encourage my clients with, and I'm sure you do too, is to detach from what people think of you. And mm -hmm. although like on maybe little mini posts, like don't care what people think. And even though, even from a personal perspective, I can see a massive improvement between being hanging on to everything other people said about me, like this massive neediness of you're, you're in charge of my validation. And now whatever you say makes me feel a particular way, you know, detaching for that is very powerful, but to completely not care about what anybody ever thinks of you is definitely something that I'm, I'm not even sure how you get there or if it's even possible, maybe very very experienced buddhist after 40 years of meditating non-stop or something but even though i promote that as as an encouraging thing there's no way that i would definitely say i don't care what anybody thinks about me because it would be a lie so I, I do understand that although it's interesting how the people that promote such things are they're actually preaching something that's really quite valuable as a general life lesson but to say that you've completed it in its full entirety is often very very I was going to say very rare, if not impossible. Would you agree with that? Or would you say it's slightly different? It's a dangerous thought to have. Mm. I don't care what other people think. And with a slight adjustment, it can become a lot safer. You know, we talked about the idea of if I'm manipulated, it becomes a great uh, kind of inspiration for self-growth. Like, I go, oh, there's a weakness in my armor that I can work on. Rather mm. than, oh, I can't believe that person hurt me. But like, thanks for highlighting that gap in, you know, the defense. It's, mm. it's something... It needs to be highlighted. I'm easily triggered by something. It's not their fault. It's my bullshit that got triggered. You know. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, this idea, I don't care what people think. With slight moderation, is I don't want my behavior to be compromised by what other people think of me. Mm. But I'm open but, uh, to the risk. You know, that's far more likely to be a mindset that is resilient to manipulation. 
where you're like, I can be manipulated, but I'm going to work on not being, you know, I'm going to work on, on encountering that as it happens. I'm going to work on prioritizing my own value system and my own set of principles over mm -hmm. the urges and pushes I get from the outside world. But the idea that I don't get urged and pushed from the outside world, that I'm completely immune to that, bullshit <laughs> <Doesn't>... <laughs> when you drive your car do you stay on the road why where'd you get that from because you care what people think that's why right the kind of person who really doesn't care what people think is in prison mm. every single person on the planet who really doesn't care what people think is in prison or dead because if you don't cooperate with society at all it goes very poorly for you with the exception of say like you know psychopathic dictators in the central africa or something but their days are numbered right the next one's coming up and he's going to be stronger than you so a person who says i don't give a fuck what people think the fact that you say that proves that you do why would mm. you say it who are you saying it to what are you trying to convince people of here why are you trying to convince people of something if you don't care the person who truly didn't care would never say it they wouldn't say anything right there's nothing to mm. prove there's no one to convince Right. So rather than I, I don't care what people think, like I, I consider myself highly apathetic about other people's opinions of me. I, when I hear them, I, my brain just deconstructs them into a realization. This is just the other person's view of the world. It's got almost nothing to do with mm -hmm. me. It could be mm -hmm. completely inaccurate or it's true for them, but it's not true for anybody else on the planet. Why would I take it seriously? But I have to go through that. I hear it first and sometimes I feel a sting and the fact that I have to go through a little like oh, let's analyze that to see if it's legit information means I have been manipulated a little bit I'm doing this now instead of something else mm -hmm. right. and that was the thing that I got taught the very hard way through failure after failure some of them quite catastrophic failures uh, being manipulated by criminals you know, I thought I'd have it all sorted and then I'd do something that just proved that I had just been fooled all along. You know, I had a really bad incident once where a pedophile that I was managing reoffended very badly. Mm -hmm. And he had me totally sold that he was uh, rehabilitated. And he did it so, it was not like something on TV with the shifty eyes and he's obviously the bad guy. I mean, this was subtle. Mm, totally under the radar and didn't ping any red flags. This guy was later identified as almost pure psychopath, which is incredibly rare. And afterwards, I realized oh, I was I was the mouse with the cat. I didn't stand a chance against this guy. He could read me like uh, he had hacked my code. It was so subtle. He didn't say much. He actually pretended to have a problem speaking English, which turned out to be a lie. He did that very well. Um, it was just the right amount of flattery, but not too much to spark any warnings. Uh, this humility, he'd even makes mistakes deliberately to show a human, human side. It was beautiful, really. In terms mm. of just like objectively viewing manipulation, it was like watching the perfect dance. And it was perfect because it didn't look perfect. But when that happened, I had, uh, I was quite kind of traumatized by it, I think would be the right word. I had to get some counseling and stuff because partly because of what he had done on my watch. I had a lot of guilt, you know, the girl's life was ruined because he manipulated me. And I had a lot of guilt about that. But then after like sort of emerging from that, 
if I still carry the guilt a little bit, but in a helpful way of kind of like, don't let that fucking happen again. Mm. Don't ever think that you're winning. Don't ever think that. That's the worst thing to think. This, mm-hmm. It's losing to play the game. So to think you're winning means you've lost, especially against a guy like that. And you don't know when you're against a guy like that. That's how good they are. The guy, the most psychopathic, manipulative guy. You know how all the great serial killers, everybody thought he was a great guy, right? I mean, how good do you have to be to be both a serial killer and loved? How clever do you need to be to get some stranger into the back of your van, you know? Mm. How, how, and never get caught, you know? How, how, do you, how good do you have to be to manage all those variables? Well, the key thing is, you know, psychopathy is about 3% prevalence in the population, but the, that doesn't really tell us the full picture. One is we'll never know how many there are out there because they don't exactly put their fucking hand up. Uh, and secondly, they tend to get around. So it doesn't mean that because 3% of people are psychopathic, that only 3% of people get affected. Mm-hmm. These people go and affect many people. They're often promiscuous, for example. So you might wonder how you keep ending up with narcissists. It's because they get around. They have mm-hmm. dozens of partners before they run out of town. Right? So one person will hurt a lot. We used to say, you know, 50% of crime is caused by 5% of criminals. You know, there's wow. one guy steals all the cars in your neighborhood. Another guy cons all the old people at the rest home. It's, they spread far and wide. So you never know when you're up against someone who's really fucking good at this. Mm-hmm. So good, you will not see it. Don't care how good you think you are. There are top psychologists in the world that were manipulated by the same guy who got me. You know, he had everyone fooled. He shouldn't have been out on parole at all. That's one of the things that helped with my guilt is he got through a lot of experts before he got to me. Unfortunately for me, he was training himself on those experts. So he got a lot of practice and then I'm just, I'm a goldfish compared to them. You know, I'm nothing. He had me easy. He got through like forensic psychologists who specialize in pedophiles. He got through them. Right? Wow. You won't know if your boss is that. You won't know if your partner's that. That doesn't mean you should go around fucking shifty about everybody, but it sort of does. It means a bit of skepticism about your own ability to see and be resistant to manipulation. Because you've got to ask yourself a general question. What's more helpful, thinking you can't be manipulated or assuming you can that you can and keeping an eye out for it? Who's more likely to be manipulated? Mm-hmm. And that was the thing I eventually, I'm like, time to put the ego aside because it's been shattered by this guy and actually quite a few others got me as well, but nobody harmed more than this guy. Um, but after that, I was like, okay, ego side, you're not the best at this. Never will be. These guys have been practicing this since I was six years old. They're wired for it. They have no empathy. You'll never be better at this than they are. So assume you're going into a losing fight whenever you meet a new mm. person and just watch out. And once you watch out, it's not that hard to manage. Manipulation is actually fairly easy to manage because it's as simple as you don't feel right. It's mm. as simple as that. And once you learn to trust that, then you're very hard to manipulate. That's very interesting. I haven't worked in uh, rehabbing criminals like you have, but I do relate to being shocked at how one person, I've heard you refer to them in the past as master manipulators, like just absolute experts at doing this. Mm. And 
uh, I think one of the last coaching calls I had with you is uh, me being the client, obviously, was after a relationship had just broken up and I'd been absolutely pulled into this narcissist. And I was shocked because I'm normally sharp as a blade and I'm not saying I can't be manipulated because I, I never, sorry, I'm not saying I didn't believe that I could be manipulated. I believe that I can be, but I'm, I'm pretty more switched on than the average person out there, I would argue, when it comes to things like this and human behavior. But this guy absolutely pulled the wool over my eyes to the extent where I was actually very shaken up at how blinkered I'd become and how much my blindfold, I'd been totally blindfolded by it. And it wasn't until I could kind of see the signs of it. My best mate gave me a bit of a nudge towards the end going, where's Angie gone? Where's my best mate gone? This isn't the Angie that I know. And I was like, really? And I suddenly things started, like the penny started dropping, mm. left the, like broke up with this guy, left the relationship. But in reflection, once I'd kind of done my grieving, cause the guy meant a lot to me as well at the time. Um, when I started looking back at it, I was like, oh my God. From the outside, it was so obvious. But from when you're in it, it's incredible to, I, I was almost shocked that somebody had the capability to manipulate me to that degree. I mean, not even have a like squidgy clue what was going on at the time. And which kind of leads me on to thinking that I think when you're more emotionally invested in something, because I know that you're obviously very, you must've been very uh, proud in what you did and when you were doing, you work mm -hmm. with rehabbing um, the, those criminals. And it meant a lot to you to, you know, be part of that journey to get them back on the, the back in the world and acting as normal human beings. And you're a lot more, and they are, you're technically in that role to a degree, your responsibility as well. So when you're emotionally involved in something, I also think you're, you're, somebody not you personally but somebody can be so much more vulnerable to being manipulated than when you're emotionally detached from something because you're not where you just you just don't care as much it's when you care your brain works in a different way about it what are your thoughts on that would you would you agree oh definitely the caring is the thing mm. it's what you care about that matters and the thing that makes you most vulnerable is caring about seeing yourself a certain way Mm. you know you nailed it with the probation officer thing when i first started i was so concerned that i wasn't good at the job and you know the imposter syndrome and all that so what i hear the most often you're the best probation officer i've ever had i'm like oh it's exactly what i wanted to hear and they fucking knew it mm. <laughs> what do you mean best pro <laughs> who, who has a good probation nobody wants to be on probation what <laughs> now there are some people who are generally like i helped them and they wanted their help this is eventually what led me to become a coach is like i want to work with guys that are like that they're very rare fully like you know uh what do you call it remorseful guys who mm. just like i don't want to be this guy and, but they never said i was the best probation officer ever you know they just worked with me they didn't, there was no compliments or sometimes they'd be like i wouldn't be where i was without you but that's after proven changes mm. but the compliments one they just and, and the people who did it best would combine that with invalidation. So in the same conversation where they'd tell me I was the best probation officer ever, they'd point out that I made a spelling mistake on one of my forms. Just a little wow. think, like you're not perfect. Watch out, doubt yourself, but don't worry, I'll, I'll back you up later. I'll, I'll give you that self-worth back and I'll take it away and I'll give it back and they become the god role. And what was weird is working with some of these guys, they'd do this and there's no gains, there's nothing I could give them. And I realized they just did it to do it. That was, they just do it to play the game. They just love the game. They don't care if I reduce their sentence or anything. I can't do any of that shit anyway. Probation officers don't have that much power. They just did it just to see if they, like, they could walk away going, got them. 
that's a they live for it right but you know you might see yourself as a caring person or a good partner you know a lot of the reasons i think people will stay with a bad partner bad fit for them shall we say to be fair is because they desperately want to believe that there's someone who can choose a good partner they don't want to admit fuck i fucked up Mm. i'm not good at choosing people i'm attracted to the wrong people they don't want to admit that because it breaks their own Mm self-image right it even goes the reverse where there are people who don't want to stop believing that they're a loser so they'll fight against encouraging people you know they'll they'll resist uh positive manipulation and they'll open the door wide open to negative because it helps reinforce the belief right so you know generally i used to work with a lot of battered women and they'd just bounce from one abuser to the next it used to baffle me took me six months to get a woman to finally leave a guy who was hitting her and a week later she's with a new guy who hits her i'm like how do you know which guys hit like how do you that's fine. I go to a pub. I'm not going to be like that guy hits and that guy and that guy. I'm, I know it's a small percentage, but I'm not going to be able to fucking point them out. Yeah, they're just like bzz, like the amount of times it was within a week or two that they found another one, even with no social life, you know. Mm-hmm. And I realize that oh, it's magnetism. They attract each other. They see Absolutely. each other in the crowd. You know, I, I came to learn about this almost very mystical element of manipulation like as a people pleaser i used to find people who needed fixing mm. i could spot i'd literally be physically attracted to them that's how quick i could spot them mm-hmm. um, i don't think of it as any sort of psychic force i think it's the incomprehensible way the brain can read micro body language and stuff without even consciously sort of noting it so i could see the way someone walks perhaps and their facial expressions and go oh, that person's right for my particular game you know and and it would all happen totally under the surface of my consciousness so Mm -hmm. i'd go attract attract and be attracted to the person that fits right in with a people pleaser sure i mean it's it's explosive uh very detrimental combination but we'd find each other i didn't find confident people right so i've actually forgotten the initial question um I can't remember either, but I was still enjoying what you were saying. <laughs> well, this is such a fun topic. <laughs> well, I, I will just add on a little bit. I think in, in all the work that we do, I I think 99% of the stuff that you say, I agree with. I think, yep, 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 tick, tick, tick. The one thing that I think we do see things slightly differently is um, what you just described about how two people can actually find so easily that right match. And mm. I am a firm believer more so these days than I probably ever used to be around energy and the energy that we literally project. Now it kind of leads into a bit of spirituality. I know that isn't your bag, but it is more so mine these days in terms of that. But when that energy matches like on a level of frequency, it's just, it's like you said, it's like a magnet. It's like, you can just feel it from somebody, which I believe is why you can, um, two people can be in a bar with one other person say, and they can both say exactly the same thing, even with the same facial expressions. Would you like a drink? And you can mm. kind of get a feeling of like, I don't know what it is. Can't quite put my finger on it, but I don't like, that's why people say, I don't like his vibe. I don't like her vibe. It's vibration, mm. but I don't like what I'm feeling from this guy. Whereas I don't know what it is about that guy, but that's a dude. That's somebody I want to spend time with. Like he's, he's cool or she's cool, whatever. And I think that's how two people can uh, like basically get that massive pull towards each other. 
But I think a lot of that is around energy and how it's projected, which is why manipulators, they're so, they're so tuned in to what that feels like and to radar that those people, that's how they pick them. And when you're in the place where you're going to attract a manipulator, you're going to be sending off that energy left, right and center is how I see it. So they're just going to be like sponges <laughs> for the manipulators, which is why the people that have been beaten up leave a relationship and they go straight into a new relationship and get beaten up again. So that you mentioned magnetism I think it's kind of the same thing like we've all got like an energy that project and whether it's body language combined with that as well but that's just personally my take on it but um it, it is very very interesting so do you think uh with the manipulation of that you help most people with is there a particular type that you think is um and I am I know manipulation you described as a very broad thing but I'm talking about the the so-called negative manipulation is there a particular one without being extreme around beating people up that you think is, uh, I don't know, is, is it right to say the most manipulative? I mean, is there even a scale yeah. on it? How do you measure it? And is there something that's like the worst or the, the, the worst one that people might hold as part of a personality trait? Well, if we think of worst as being like most damaging to a person's psyche and quality sure. of life. Right? Yeah, that's good. Um, I don't think violence is the worst. And I mean, sexual abuse of a child is pretty bad, mm. uh, but it's, I don't know if that's manipulation. It really counts as the manipulation we're talking about when you just force yourself on somebody. Mm. And that's why say like randomly getting punched by a stranger in the street rather than staying in a relationship or being uh, you know, sexually abused by someone by force. I don't think it's in the same category of what mm -hmm. we're talking about. It's more no. like losing a fight. So if we rule out those, Yep. that are clearly sort of well Most i don't extreme. think actually people recover from violence a lot better than they do from emotional manipulation um therapists around the world have their calendars booked out because of parental emotional manipulation right? mm -hmm. the damage it does when you're still forming your brain uh and you don't have critical thinking and you don't have the kind of frontal lobe performance that you need to like withstand the external world like it forms you as a person it limits your options permanently uh so i'd say the most harmful <laughs> in a very broad generic sense is bad parenting wow. uh and one of the things i've learned a lot about more recently is the first three years the shit you don't even remember that's where a lot of the main damage is done and it isn't done with the hurtful comments and stuff like you get with the say the mum and the teenage girl that kind of nasty spiteful stuff or the man up and don't cry like you get from the father to the son and all the classic stuff that we talk about a lot though that stuff is devastating you know i'm in work because that stuff exists without that stuff we have a happy healthy world it's as simple as that but in the first three years you know i'll give you an example because i've only just become aware of this being a father and starting to research that element of psychology, which I'd ignored for most of my career. Like I'm not that interested in infants, you know, but now I am. And we were out with somebody, they're not a bad person or anything, but this was bad. I was somebody and she was talking to my wife. She had her one-year-old-ish in the pram and the kids started crying, grizzling, just woken up for her sleep. Without looking, the mum grabs a, pacifier and just shoves it into the baby's mouth and literally holds it there by force what's a pacifier a dummy a dummy yeah oh yeah sure okay 
uh, and just holds it there by force. Didn't even make eye contact with the kid. And I was like, you have no idea how damaging it is to do that. Mm-hmm. The messaging you just gave that child was horrendous. The no eye contact, no acknowledgement, no recognition. Mm-hmm. The shut up your inconvenient message. Like your emotions are inconvenient to me, so I will literally squash them. I was like, oh, that's how it's done. You know? So a lot of us, we have issues with attachment. That's one of the biggest issues we have, or at least in my field of work. Mm-hmm. We struggle to trust people, or we cling to people, or both. And we push and pull. We can't seem to like have a connection we feel safe and healthy with. We don't realize that in the first three years of our life, a lot of that damage was done. Mm. And it was done often with good intentions. You know, there's this Ferber method where you leave a baby to cry itself to sleep. Um, and it's supposed to kind of like just toughen the kid up and, you know, learn how to sleep on your own. I've personally and, just put it out there. I've never agreed with that, but that's just. Well, you shouldn't. Point. The data shows that you really shouldn't. Yeah. And I, you know, a lot of parents listening to this might be feeling quite defensive right now because they tried it and it seemed to work and the kid seems to be fine. And look, it's recoverable, but you need to understand what you did. You told that baby when it cries and when it's distressed, no one's coming for it. Yeah. It's on its own. It can't trust anybody. It can't rely on anybody. It's in this cold, dark world where it can't see. It can't understand what's happening. And it's left alone. The reason it stopped crying is because it went inside. Yeah. It went, nobody's coming for me. And then later on, when you're like, why won't my teenage daughter talk to me about anything? Oh, that's just teenagers. No, that's avoidant attachment. Mm-hmm. That someone who said, you know, when I cry, no one helps me. I'm on my own. And they formed a belief before they even knew what beliefs were, before they even had a language. So when you ask, like, what's the most damaging? It's the stuff that happens. And honestly, like a bit of that stuff can be counterbalanced. So to give some hope to parents that like thought they were using the right method, they really love their kid and they're trying to help and they're following what the doctor says and the doctor actually gets it wrong in this particular case. If you're a very loving, encouraging, supportive parent the rest of the time, don't worry about it. It'll counteract it. You're not going to have a damaged kid. But if you're also emotionally distant, too busy with work, angry at them every time they cry, yeah, that's going to do some damage. Mm -hmm. There's not enough counterbalance. You can fuck things up in relationships. You can accidentally be a bit of a people pleaser, a bit narcissistic, or a bit this and that. As long as it's just a bit, and the rest heals it, you know. Uh, but if it's more than a bit, and I don't, I can't define what a bit is. There's just a line <laughs> where it stops being counteracted, where it doesn't get healed, uh, where it starts to grow a cancerous kind of psychological tumor that uh, will eventually kill whatever's happening mm-hmm. um yeah a lot of people just don't realize that that's what happened to them as kids it's very little subtle things you know totally agree yeah it's, it's interesting when you said um when people defend that i mean obviously the the conversation today isn't around how you raise children but it, it is no. very significant about um you know i left when somebody says i left my child to cry and it didn't do any damage and it worked well first of all what do you mean by worked Basically, it made mm. your life easier. That's what you mean by worked. It made my life easier because I could get to sleep more easily or I could get back to work more quickly or I didn't have the inconvenience of having to hold an ongoing crying child that's given up on putting the hand up saying, I need some help right now, but nobody's coming, so I'll just give up and I'll go inside like you said. So what do they mean by it worked? And Because mm. I've heard people say the same thing. And when people say, well, it, it didn't cause any damage to my kid because they've got 
you know, 10 A stars at GCSE or they're going to university. Well, how are you measuring what damage it did? Are you measuring it by their success? Because that in its own right, uh, sorry, achievements, because that in its own right can also be quite damaging as well when you only recognize a kid for what they achieve rather than who they are. What you're, what you're basically saying to them is that I recognize you for what you do rather than who you are. And that in its own right can be in direct parallel, like parallel relation to that particular pattern that we're referring to when they're a kid anyway, that dismissiveness of their human birthright needs versus, oh yeah, but it shows that they're fine because they're achieving something. And the two are very, very different. And it's good to recognize, it's very important to recognize your kids for both. If they do something good, obviously pat them on the back and give them high fives and chest pumps, whatever you want to do. But to recognize them for the stuff that they're not physically achieving as well, I think is so overlooked in our mm-hmm. society to, to raise a, a stable human race. <laughs> Would you agree? <laughs> yeah, look, uh, sometimes I think my standards are too high, but I would have to say that most people are not ready to be parents and that most societies are not set up well for families. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine who um, he, he kind of exclusively dates international women. And so he gets this range of cultures brought into his life. And one of his girlfriends was Mexican and she, mm-hmm. she came over to New Zealand. She said one of the weirdest things when she got here was hearing babies crying all the time. She said, you don't hear it where I live because you live in a fucking house with 12 family members. The baby's needs get met constantly. Mm. In certain African tribal cultures, a baby's feet doesn't touch the ground for like three years. They're constantly coddled, constantly mm. held. They turn out just fine psychologically speaking they turn out to be powerful leaders loving mothers whatever they turn out fine so the ideas that we have especially in western culture around how to raise kids it's no it's how to raise industrious workers it's not how to raise healthy human beings so we mm-hmm. end up with these industrious look at my industrious little kid you mean you mean the one that can't like connect with people is that the one you're talking about <laughs> yeah i mean the one looks in the mirror and goes you're not good enough is that the one you're talking about the one that won't talk to you about their deep inner problems because they don't trust you is that the kid you're so proud of the worst i see is like i got hit as a kid and i turned out fine no you didn't or you didn't turn out as good as you could have definitely not there's no way violence improves you as a person there's no fucking way there's no psychological paper on earth that's ever given any validity to that idea and there's plenty that have gone against it if you if you say something like that, like, you know, I got hit and I turned out fine, what you're saying is I got conditioned to believe that violence against children is healthy. Now say it like that and tell me that you turned out fine. Right? It'd be like, I got sexually abused as a kid and I turned out fine. Right? You wouldn't say that. Mm. So you wouldn't promote it as a parenting tool. Right? But as you said, the, the tragedy is that to to raise somebody and let's go away from parenting just to be in a healthy connection with people it's a hassle to do it right here's the thing manipulation this is what i was thinking about before our call you know i was looking at kind of the prompts and what we might talk about and one of the things that's become very clear to me over the last couple of years and i already knew it back when i was working with offenders is the most motivating force is the most ridiculous one avoidance of a hassle we get very motivated by guilt. We get motivated by the pursuit of pleasure. We get motivated by frustration. But ironically, a lot of our decisions every day, and majority perhaps, are just trying to reduce hassle. 
We don't like hassle. And everybody's got a different definition, a uh, different definition of that word. What what hassle is for them? They're very active people, but a hassle is like having to wait for something. Or someone like me, <laughs> hassle is being active. So from the beginning, whether it's parenting a child, whether it's being with a partner, whether it's hanging out with our friends, a lot of our manipulation towards other people is trying to reduce the amount of hassle they're going to be for us. Mm. Often the amount of emotional hassle. It's uncomfortable for me to be around someone grieving, so I'll cheer them up. You know, it's agitating for me to be around people who are bored, so I'll entertain them. Right? It's scary for me to be around someone who's angry, so I'll calm them down. And we're just we're constantly like you're you're too much effort for me emotionally i need to reduce you right and this is how not only we manipulate others like in my line of work i'm actually dealing with people in the way they manipulate others more than the way they're being manipulated i mean it goes both ways you work on your own shit and you start to see it coming from others so mm. working on your own shit is the best way to tackle this it kind of covers everything mm -hmm. but when you start to see like how often do i do something with the primary motivation of making their emotional state more comfortable for me it becomes very uncomfortable to see how much you do it to just go wow it's like a little bit of everything i say has some of that in it you know and this this was a, a very very painful wake-up call for me in my mid-20s uh, it didn't happen in a single epiphany you just have a series of stages of ongoing revelation over time where i was like do I even not do this? You know, like, is it everything? Is it everything I've ever done? Is my career based on this? <clears throat> do I have a career that just shuts everyone up? Is that really why I chose it? You know, the, when I go out drinking every weekend, when I go to the nightclubs that I don't even enjoy, is that just so my mates will be comfortable around me? Like, not to mention every sentence out of my fucking mouth. Is it just designed to put someone in a state that I enjoy? Why am I so funny all the time? Why do I put so much effort into that fucking stand-up comedy performance that I do in every social situation? Because I like people laughing. It's less hassle than being sad or serious or arguing. Mm. And I was just like, shit, please don't tell me that's the only reason I do this because it's starting to look like it's the only fucking reason I do this, you know? Um, anyway, like I said, I, when we talk about the most harmful it really can just come down to the fact that we're just trying to stop people being a hassle. We just, we don't want to put in the effort that healthy connections require. A parent doesn't feel like they have the time and sometimes they, because of the way society functions in the Western world, they don't have the time and support needed to do the right thing. The, the long painful thing that you got to do for the kid to develop properly, the spending time with them, the letting them cry in your arms, the letting them feed themselves, even though they make a massive mess, the, whatever, they're letting them ask their 400,000 questions a day and answering them. It's a fucking hassle. But if you put that effort in, you're going to end up with, uh, as somebody says, uh, Dr. Gabor Marte says, if you get the first three years right, you don't have to do anything else. And that's pretty much it. Like, you get that toddler development right, they're going to be so fucking confident, they'll take off on their own. Mm. That you, you won't have to worry about them. They'll climb the trees without falling, they'll stand up to the bully you know they'll resist the shit from the teachers that isn't right and whatever they'll do everything they need to be a healthy person but you get that first three years wrong if you make them into a little slave that tries to be convenient the rest of the world's mm -hmm. going to dominate them as well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very interesting i think um 
what was the point that you just oh yeah it reminded me of when this hassle topic I'd never looked at it like that but I think there's a it's very very true but it's also we kind of go back to the child rearing again but it's so related that it's why so many parents just hand their kids uh like a like a tablet or some form of device where they're busy let's go right just watch tv or just watch I mean if they're busy fair enough they've got a specific I've got to get this washing up done I've got to put the washing on fair enough but some people just can't be asked to just interact with them because it takes a lot of patience to read the alphabet 57 times it takes a lot of patience to count 10 420 times in a day whereas actually that's the the part that is most needed I guess at that age I mean I don't have children but from the small research I've done on very very young kids but um the hassle part is just it's so much easier just to chuck them a laptop or so much easier to chuck them a tablet and then it, it creates that whole addiction. And it's also another reason why I think we're so obsessed with our phones as a, as a world. And to a degree, technology has manipulated us because they actually, a lot of these like applications, like the obvious ones, Facebook, Instagram, everything else, and just the way that they're designed, they've hired people that know how to basically manipulate our minds. And they're designed in a particular way that we're actually feeding the trap which we've been mm-hmm. set for us by using these devices so much. So, and we start them off these days at such a young age. Like I openly admit, I spend too much time on my phone. I run an online business. I'm always on technology of some nature, but I certainly miss it when it's taken away from me. Like if I'm out somewhere and my phone dies, I feel a bit, oh my God, I hate it. Like I don't have that immediate connection with the world. So it's definitely there. And I didn't even have a mobile till I was in my mid twenties. So imagine what that's like when you've been programming somebody to be manipulated by technology in that way since they were seven or six in some instances, even younger in some instances, you know. So it's uh, it's quite frightening when you think of it like that, of what that could lead to if you fast forward four decades of that programming and reprogramming. And it also explains why we've got such a disconnected society and why so many people are behaving in a manipulative way because they're sometimes not even aware of what those social cues are because they spent so much time focused staring into their phone. And all the other ways as well, you know, like generally, like, let's say you have a mother that guilt trips you. Well, guess mm-hmm. what her mom did to her? This is how she learned to communicate her needs. This is how she thinks it works. She doesn't even mm-hmm. think. It's just, this is how talking happens. It's like if you read 1984 by George Orwell, mm-hmm. you know, the constant theme is that they're rewriting the language so people can't actually think for themselves. Mm-hmm. They're limiting the language in such a way where you're forced to have the kind of thinking that they want because the language is thinking, you know, it's such a great idea that generally we're, we're raised to manipulate by people who were manipulated, manipulating mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. you know, it's a spell. But at this point, you're also touching on the solution. You know, you said that that feeling you get when you're away from technology, if you ever want to break your addiction to technology, you go in the bush for two weeks and you prove to yourself that you don't need it. You remind mm-hmm. yourself that you never needed it. Mm-hmm. If you want to break your dependency in relationships, you stay single on purpose for as long as you possibly can. You know, if you think that your friend circle manipulates you, move to another city, be on your own. One of the key elements to recovery, or should I say to building a resilience and healthy uh, skepticism and ability to manage manipulation is to be willing to lose the thing the thing you're attached to that made you easy to manipulate. Maybe it's an identity you need to lose. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a sense of security 
Uh, maybe it's validation. There's something you need to lose and show yourself that you can survive without it. Uh, you know, for me, it was identity. I wanted to be seen as the nice guy. That was the thing that anybody could use against me. You know, my friends at the time, they used it to make me their entertainment. You know, it was really hard to look back on it to realize I was only invited to things if they wanted to laugh. If somebody funnier was there, I didn't get invited. It was like, oh, that stings. I don't actually have friends. <laughs> I thought I had lots of them. I don't. I have an audience. An audience sure. that's looking for a cheap deal. You know? um, but my attachment to being the funny guy, it compelled me to be the funny guy, which is also me manipulating them. So mm -hmm. we're going back and forth with circular here. Manipulation is almost always circular. One of the interesting things you'll see in domestic violence cases is how often the the woman usually, but men get beaten too, but how often the woman will provoke the violence. It's 50-50 mm -hmm. quite often. You know, she could leave, but she doesn't. It, there's always, the, the victim's also manipulating in their own way. Mm -hmm. Both people are essentially a victim to each other. Now, one person could be far more malicious and deliberate than the other person, but manipulation's a dance. It's 50-50. Yeah. The person who really can't be manipulated is actually beautifully demonstrated in the movie uh, The Departed. There's a scene, um, Jack Nicholson's character, the mafia boss type guy, he was talking to his, uh, the main character about his dad. He says, you know, your dad uh, never wanted money. Nothing you can do with a guy like that. And he perfectly in that moment, he, he illustrated what someone resilient to manipulation really looks like. It's a person mm -hmm. who has nothing they need. Nothing they need from you. Like if you really want to become someone who can't be affected by others in that way, that can't be hurt and tricked and moved around, you have to figure out what it is that others provide for you that you don't provide for yourself. What it is that you think you need that you don't need. Mm -hmm. What is it you're not willing to lose? If you're willing to lose anything, you're untouchable. Any prisoner will tell you, any sort of long-term serving inmate will tell you, it's the crazy people that get the most respect. They might be the smallest, but if they're willing to lose their lives to have a fight, nobody wants to fight them. It's too much. So the biggest, toughest guy will leave the crazy guy alone. Right? He might be smaller, but the crazy guy will like bite your balls off. He has no limits. Right. It's like so a phrase I heard. Sorry, like a phrase I heard that once you've lost everything, you're the most dangerous person to go up against because there's nothing for them to lose. There's nowhere for them to go any lower. So the person that has already lost everything for whatever reason are the ones that you should fear the most. <laughs> Pretty much. And and you know, you have to become a bit dangerous to be secure from manipulation. You have to be willing to cause a scene, you have to be willing to lose your job. You have to be willing to divorce. You have to be willing to lose all your friends. You have to be willing to be ostracized by your family. If you're willing for those things, I don't mean you seek them or provoke them, but you're willing. You're like, my integrity comes first. Those preferences come second if I'm left with that choice. Mm -hmm. If you're that person, almost impossible to do any real damage to you with manipulation. I don't mean that you can't be moved a little bit, but you won't be moved very far. So, for example... I'll put it this, no matter how confident you are, you can be tricked in some mm -hmm. way. You can be influenced, manipulated. Like we talked about this, people have been practicing this for decades. To you, like a dog that can be trained. Even the smartest dog in the world can be trained by a human. They just don't have a chance, right? Mm -hmm. 
but how long it continues for that's where the difference happens so someone can scam me once and that's all they're gonna do i'm gonna be like you know what keep my money i'm fucking out of this right but the person's like i'm gonna get my money back that's the person who's gonna get real damage done to them right this is how casinos work casinos are basically a big manipulative scam it's not about getting you to gamble it's about getting you to keep gambling because the odds are slightly stacked towards the house so over time you're going to lose so what a lot of uh, casino machines will do the way they're programmed is to let you win up front mm. now you've got something to lose like oh i've doubled my money maybe i could double it again and then by the time you actually down to the point where you're less than what you came in with you're like i've got to at least get back to what i came with and that's how they get you but the person goes in there is like i got 20 bucks whatever happens with this i'm out they lose it they're like oh i'm done I'm off to the pub that person only loses 20 bucks and they didn't need that 20 bucks so they don't really lose anything at all mm-hmm. i remember one of the worst things i've ever seen in my life was in vegas for the first time and we're just i mean we're all broke so we're going to like the two dollar tables and just watching the fancy tables and stuff and trying to score free <laughs> cocktails. it's just it was roulette uh, is that what it's called the spinny ball one with the yeah numbers? i think so the, the red and black one i'd never seen this before i didn't think it happened in real life this guy came with a stack of money and just put it on a number i thought you'd have to use the chips but he just put the stack on the number wow. i was just like Ooh, he had cowboy hat on and the boots and everything I'm like well, this big spender you know this is awesome i'm so thrilled he's like fuck that's some high stakes shit he's got like a one in 80 chance or something and he lost and the guy almost had a heart attack he wasn't willing to lose it his face just went like i've never seen anybody just go pale he went from like normal healthy looking to like cancer just like that i was like wow. it made me feel sick to see it and he's just like oh no oh no and he, i can't remember what he says something like what am i gonna do like what if my wife finds out and he was just devastated and i was watching this like there's no way you just did something that stupid is this a, like a prank or something because <laughs> that's so brutal they grab the stack and they've got this little like pushy thing and there's a slot and they just push the money and it just disappears and then you just see the guy just grab a stack and just the money disappears and this guy just basically collapsed in front of us and i thought that's the problem with gambling is the person who isn't actually willing to lose the stack the guy who's willing to lose the stack cannot be harmed by the casino Right? But the guy who actually, even if it's secretly just at the back of his mind, wants to at least keep his money or keep his pride or whatever, the casino is going to eat him alive because mm. the odds will just turn against him over time. It's yeah. very interesting. Like the, uh, the desire to win or the desire to gain. And he said that the, the casinos, I've never been to like one in my life, I think. And it was in my local town. <laughs> I spent about five pounds. <laughs> It's like big, big bucks. <laughs> but anyway, um, you said that they're designed to give people that win at the beginning. How that to me is identical to when you were talking about when you're working for connections, when they would give you all these compliments and you're the best person that we've ever worked with and blah, 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 or a narcissist who love bombs. They call it love bombing, don't they? When they love bomb their mm-hmm. partner at the beginning, they shower them in love and tell them they're the best thing since sliced bread, yada, yada, yada. It's that I want to win something. I want to gain something. And you're fueling that desire to gain it. So whether it's a casino, whether it's in, you know, rehabbing criminals, whether it's in a relationship, if you're vulnerable in that thing that you want to gain and you're not willing to lose, when you see that you're kind of getting the thing that you want, 
you become, you get sucked in. It's like a massive magnet, like, and then that's how people then become such a victim to it. I would, I would suggest based on what you've said, the similarity just suddenly stood out to me in everything that you've used as examples. Exactly. I mean, if you can figure out what's the thing that you're least willing to lose and make your next year dedicated to being okay without that thing, uh, that's the best work you can do. Like one of the examples that I think that comes up a lot for people in the workplace uh, would be like public humiliation. So you get backed mm. into a corner in front of a crowd in some way. You see this in debates all the time where a person who was formerly uh, rationally debating starts getting all heated and defensive and starts getting spiteful and throwing out insults and they think they're winning and you watch it afterwards you just go oh my god everyone just thought you're an absolute dick about halfway through onwards you know uh they're not they're not prepared to lose in front of a crowd they're not prepared to lose face mm. but the person who is the person who'd be like eh, maybe i was wrong about that and the whole girl goes oh see see you don't know anything they go, yeah, if you want to think that that person you know they can be, they might lose the debate but they don't lose the war you know mm. they go home and they're okay with themselves so who gives a fuck if the whole crowd turned on them uh you can see this sort of playing out right now with the whole joe rogan podcast uh <laughs> fucking you know very interesting uh kind of conflict uh with the cancel culture cancel culture is a great example of kind of group mob manipulation mm-hmm and what's really interesting about the cancel culture idea is the person has to want to keep their reputation in order to be canceled. If they don't care, you can't do anything to them, you know? And, and this is why like uh, certain guys like Dave Chappelle, the comedian, they attempted to cancel him, the mob, so many occasions, but he doesn't care if he's canceled or not. He walked away from $50 million at one point in his career. He doesn't give a fuck if he loses everything. And because of that, he didn't lose anything. But the person who says, I'm sorry, it's in some way goes back on what they believe in, compromises their integrity to try and please the crowd, mm. they always get cancelled. That's that sorry is the death sentence. I also think that can go, we're kind of going slightly off topic with the cancel culture. Cancel culture. I think a lot of the people that are most offended are the people, are the listeners. Because if you, it's also a form of manipulation that if the same narrative is constantly cancelled, no matter what the topic is, so when one narrative is actually allowed out into the, into the rest of the world, that's also a form of manipulation because people are going to be programmed to believe the only thing they're hearing on loop, whereas actually an alternative opinion might not be the person that's being cancelled that has the issue. It's the listeners going, hold on a minute, this is surely like we should hear both sides of the story here. You're only promoting one, that's an issue. But again, it's a form of manipulation. It's like this mind control kind of thing. So it's it's so broad manipulation. It's, it's everywhere, <laughs> whether it's in technology, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in connections, whatever, children raising, whatever. So just, um, I know you've got a bit of a time uh, limit. So let me just ask one, one question I think would be really useful for anybody listening is that, um, how would you advise somebody to recognize that they're being manipulated? I know, again, it could be a bit down to interpretation, but if that is the case, how would you suggest that they then respond to it and how they handle it? Cool. Simplest way I can put it is if you don't feel right, trust that you're being manipulated, even if the other person doesn't mean to manipulate you. Being manipulated is something that happens inside of you. So if it's happening, it's happening. It doesn't matter whether they're trying to or they mean to or anything. It's happening is that if you're intimidated, you're intimidated. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they're necessarily objectively intimidating. doesn't mean that they're trying to dominate you. It doesn't matter if they're trying to or not. If you are, you are. And it can be both 
what I'd say is anything that just seems a bit off and including positivity, like you're so flattered by someone, you feel that like warmth, that boost from them all the time. That's actually a red flag. Doesn't necessarily mean they're doing anything bad, but it does say something in you requires this validation. Like if your mood changes when someone either compliments or criticizes you, that means that your self-worth is dependent on external variables. That's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. If it just gets a brief like beep and then back to normal, that's okay. We're allowed a little beep. But if it's like, what? And you change <laughs> who you are because of it, that ain't right. I mean, I've been manipulated by my own bank account, right? I look at my bank account like, yay! And then like, oh, right? There's numbers on a screen. There's no way the bank account's trying to hurt me, right? But it just shows me like my my attachment to financial resources, to security, that's my the gap in my armor. If I don't have that, then look at my bank account, it should just be numbers on a screen. That's what it always was. Just, you know, ones and zeros of binary code. It's nothing. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. anything, right? So as soon as you feel off in relation, like in reaction to somebody else saying or doing something, if nothing else goes, there's something off in me that needs work, right? doesn't matter what they're trying to do. I mean, it does matter. Like if you're in a relationship, if this is your boss, your family member, there's going to have to be some decisions to be made about how that continues or whether or not it continues. But one, I mean, it's almost one thing for certain is before you can say, you're manipulating me, you need to go like, is this me or is this me? Right? Like, am I generally a secure, happy person? You know, not happy necessarily, but am I generally a secure, confident person who's sure of themselves and it's just around this one person that that all falls apart? Or does this kind of shit happen a lot? Or is this, is this a pattern? You know, one of, one of the things my coach asked me, like one of the best questions ever, when you're having a problem, ask yourself, is this a new problem or a recurring problem? And as soon as you say that, almost every time it's recurring. Mm-hmm. Like this has happened before. <clears throat> it looks different, but it's the same thing. And so you've got to ask yourself that when you're having an emotional reaction to somebody else saying something about you or to you or even seemingly indirect, if you have a stronger than baseline reaction to that, because uh, is this recurring? Do I always react like this to this kind of thing or this kind of person or the narrative I have about this situation? Is this one of those narratives that I tend to have a bit of a reaction to, either positive or negative? Because mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the gap in your armor. And in terms of solving that, or, or shall we say, don't call it a problem, but as a piece of work mm-hmm. that you want to work on, uh, this is where addressing it with the other person kind of kills two birds with one stone. You're doing it for you, but also you're helping them to respect you. Mm-hmm. One way to look at it is in terms of manipulation is you can start with a generous assumption that they didn't mean to do that. And if it turns out you're wrong, that will be proven. You don't need to worry that you're going to be naive here. You're just going to start with like, let's let's give them like the benefit of the doubt and we'll put this to the test. This thing's going to go on probation now. <laughs> right? So somebody says something to you and you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't like the way I felt when he said that. We've got some doubts. It might just be me. It might be they didn't mean to, you know, like generally they're a better person or it might be like something I can learn about them. Like I have a few friends that are autistic and, you know, they can be like really blunt 
And once I get that and I'm okay with it, then I don't take anything personal. Mm-hmm. But they'll, you know, they're kind of like, oh, you're looking a bit fatter today. I'm like, oh, what the fuck you say? I'm attached to looking good. That's not their problem. They're right. I am getting fatter. You know, what's the problem there? I've got an honest friend. That's good. I need to get my shit sorted. But it also, long, long-term benefit for their own relationships, I can help them see, you know, there's other ways to communicate stuff like that. This is how I reacted. Maybe other people react like I do quite often. Maybe that's why you're struggling to make friends, you know, and we can help each other. A lot of people, like especially people pleasers, they're actually helped a lot by people giving them honest feedback for once. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell the same story over and over about a girl telling me that I sounded pathetic when I was doing self-deprecating humor. I was like, huh, pathetic. I'd never thought of that. I thought this was funny. I didn't even like doing it. Mm-hmm. I fucking it's just secret self-loathing disguised as a joke like nothing good's happening here <laughs> and it sounds pathetic okay I'm willing to have another look thank you for, for I mean I didn't say at the time I was like you bitch but you know five years later I'm like thank god she said that sure so all you have to do to address it is to call out the not right feeling and if you're not even sure you can literally say it like I don't feel right when you said that or you did that or something's off when you say that, it could be a compliment, criticism, indirect remark, weird statement that the key here is their response, maybe not their first response, but their long-term pattern response will tell mm-hmm. you whether or not they actually respect you. Love that. You know, <laughs> I actually had this conversation with someone yesterday. She's got like quite a sort of narcissistic family, unfortunately. Sometimes you get packs and, uh, she said, like, what do I say to them? So on and so forth. And basically my response was, look, if the person's healthy and has your best interests at heart, all you'll have to do is tell them how you feel and they'll do the rest. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll, they'll figure out how to interact with you in a way that shows respect. You know, uh, like one of the worst types of manipulation that's hard to deal with in certain cultures is what I call bullying banter stuff that looks funny and makes everyone around you laugh but it's actually like a fucking dart right into the heart and so it's a secret it's like a anthrax inside a birthday card you know what i mean it's this thing that nobody it doesn't look like bullying to anyone but it's definitely bullying but you doubt yourself because everyone's Mm -hmm. having a laugh we're just the lads at the workplace or whatever passive aggressive classic passive aggressive right well I, i heard of a new term covert aggressive so passive aggressive is inactive, but covert is quite active, but it's hidden. And so this would be definition of covert aggressive, which is like, nah, we're all just having a laugh, mate. You're being too sensitive. It's like, dude, you, you hit my wound. This isn't being too sensitive. Like, that's not, you know, you have a laugh about how small my ears are. That's fine. Unless I've got a big problem with how small my ears are, then you don't have a laugh about it. Like, that's not banter. Yeah. That's cruelty. Yeah. That's torture. You see this a lot in the trades, like being an apprentice in the trades, whether you're a bricklayer or a plumber or whatever. Generally, the culture is you get some shit as a kind of uh, indoctrination into the thing. Um, and if it's healthy, it'll be some funny pranks, but there's nothing that'll make you cry yourself to sleep. But there's some of these places where the guy gets tortured. You know, the guy, mm-hmm. like, his life is ruined. It's personal. It's aggressive. It's constant. The guy's nervous to go into work that's not banter so that guy needs to trust that feeling like if i feel this way it ain't right now you express the feeling and their reaction will tell you how much they actually respect you Mm -hmm. 
if you're like, dude, look, I know this is a bit of a laugh to you guys, but it's actually really hurting my feelings. Do you mind calming it down a bit? And they don't. That tells you all you need to know. This was never banter. Sure. This was always bullying. No confident, healthy person is going to keep hurting you on purpose. There's no fucking way. And that's the thing you got to keep in mind, no matter how much self-doubt you have about yourself. You don't need to know whether or not you're okay. You can ask yourself, would a confident, healthy person do that to me? Mm-hmm. If the answer is no, that tells you so much about what's really happening. Mm-hmm. Again, it might not be intentional. And there'll be like, you know, the same client, she's got an 80-year-old aunt who she was struggling with. I'm like, yeah, she's 80. Good luck changing that. You know? <laughs> yeah. It could be fucking it's dementia. Pretty ingrained. Yeah. Very good luck. You know, two of my family members fell out for a decade before everybody realized they both actually had dementia. They just thought they were really mad at each other. Right? Like there's some stuff you can't you can't change in another person. Right? But you need to first get the feeling. I put it out there like this is the willing to lose. I'm willing to lose your respect. I'm willing to for the boys at the workplace to think I'm too sensitive. I'm willing for my boss to think I'm weak. I'm willing for my partner to to think that I'm, I don't know, self, uh, what do you call it? Uh, no, selfish. Well, like, just like, a, what, when you think that somebody's with yourself. oversensitive, yeah. oversensitive kind of yeah. thing? Whatever, whatever it is. Self-conscious. The thing you think, yeah, self-conscious. Um, you know, whatever it is that you're worried they're going to think of you as, this is the bravery. You have to let them have that thought. Let them make that judgment and understand, look, if they react badly to this, that's all the information I need. It's time to get out. And I mean, this is really hard. I know if I'm, if I'm, you know, someone listening to this is a very low self-worth, easily manipulated person, it's unlikely they'll also have the bravery to walk away, but I want to at least plant the seed in their head. That is the answer here. Mm -hmm. You either have the self-confidence to confront and hold boundaries and like resist the storm, or you got to walk away. There isn't a third option where you stay in a fight that you're not strong enough to win yet kind of thing. You know, you need to be able to practice this at a level you can handle. So, you know, we talked about this when we talked about confrontations that start confrontations with people who are safe to confront, you know, and it could be like, you might know, in some intuitive way that you're you are too sensitive you're sensitive to stuff that isn't malicious sensitive to stuff that you know you've got a best friend who's always encouraged you always had your best interest at heart loves you uh, wants you to do well and occasionally they say things that hurt your feelings just very occasionally and you can kind of see like it's very unlikely that they're trying to hurt me that this is some big act Well, mention that one to them. This is a safe person to try this out with. This is a kind of the level of battle you might be able to handle right now. And just say, look, you know, I don't mind having a laugh with you. This is one topic. I'm just, I'm sore about it. Like, I'd rather you just didn't push that button. Any other topics, fine, just not that. You know, words to that effect. Now, if they go to town on that topic after that, well, maybe there is something wrong with them. Yeah. All right. You got to ask yourself, if I really love somebody, and they asked me to just stay away from a certain behavior or thing because it hurt them. And it was totally a choice. I didn't need to do that behavior. There's no compromise of my integrity to change this behavior. What would I do? 
We'll be like, oh, I'm gonna fucking tease the shit out of them. Well, if so, you're a sick person. Mm. You need fucking help. Sure. Right? You're the problem. You're the bad guy in this situation. If the answer is yes to that. But most people, and I try to have a generous assumption though. I'm getting cynical as I get older. <laughs> uh, <laughs> most people don't want to hurt their loved ones. I think. Most people or anybody, for that matter. Or anybody. or anybody. I think it was one of the biggest things that came out yeah. from working with you is understanding people's motives when it comes to being somewhat assertive. And sometimes people are unaware of it. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes people are oblivious. Sometimes people have other motivations because they're driven by their own insecurities or whatever. But having that conversation with somebody, if they genuinely are somewhat of a caring person, whether you're a stranger or whatever, a good person generally has some form of reaction that's like, okay, look, that wasn't my intention. I'll keep an eye on it. I'll do my best not to go there again. Be probably more intense if it was a partner or something. But it's the ones that actually tease you about it, call you oversensitive, tell you to pipe down, even intensify the level of banter. Then they've exposed their motivation. And the motivation from the very get-go was to somewhat cause harm. And if you then expose it and they actually carry on, knowing that doing the action will continue to cause harm, you've got your answer. And I remember when you explained that to me years ago, and I was like, yes, that makes so much sense. And it has categorically stood me in good stead. Like what that particular piece of advice just given is so true. And it's come up time and time again. And the people that are responsive to it are the people I'm much closer to. And the people people that aren't have just drifted out of my life and I feel better for it exactly i mean it brings up one of the key dilemmas here which is you've got to learn how to measure people's behavior and not be moved by their words it's Mm -hmm. one of the first things i had to learn with working with criminals where it was really quite practically applicable they would say they're doing all this stuff and it would sound good but i could measure it another way and where i could i did so say they're going to rehab i'll call up the rehab did they come how did they participate? Not just hear the word, but act as if I didn't have any words to go on and had to get my information elsewhere. And that really, like, that eliminated most manipulation for me. I'm like, you can say whatever you want. I'm going to check. And so I'd either find out through the check whether or not they're telling the truth and build up a pattern. Mm-hmm. This person is consistently honest or consistently dishonest. Or the fact that they knew I was going to check mean they had to adjust their behavior. Right? Because oh, well, now I've got to go to rehab because he's always going to ring up anyway. So I'd put them in a position where their words didn't matter. You know? And you can do this in almost any situation, essentially. And when I say behavior, I also sort of mean words in a different way. Let's say you ask someone to treat you better. And they say, I promise I will. That means nothing. Absolutely nothing. How do they treat you for the next month? Not next couple of days, the next month. Mm. How they treat you after the heat's died down and the conversation's forgotten? Is there a permanent shift in behavior, or at least the attempt, with a few slips, but are like, oops, I know, I'm working on it. Is there at least the attempt? And sometimes when I say behavior, I mean the way they talk to you. Mm-hmm. But I don't mean that what they say they're going to do. I mean what they actually say to you in, in day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. So someone, you know, the banter thing's a good example. Sure. Like, look, I don't mind taking the piss a bit back and forth, but nothing about my family. I'm sensitive about that. Mm-hmm. If they're like, all right, all right, nothing about the family. And then for a month, there's no jokes about the family. Okay, that's real. Right. Um, and, and this is, 
it's just so easy to measure once you can just remove the spell the magic fucking spell of people's words you gotta understand what people's words are they're not just noises it's computer code it's programming when it enters your ears your brain creates pathways it literally changes the physical structure of your brain to listen to someone speak every single time they do new memories are formed new understanding of how the world works is either confirmed or denied and so on so when someone speaks to you you gotta understand they are trying to program my brain whether they mean to or not now am i going to let that happen now you can't stop it but you can categorize the information comes in go that was just words put it aside measure their behavior rather than that was good information i'm gonna go with that like mm -hmm. promises are the worst because promises harm both parties for a start promise feels so good that you're not really motivated to do much else and this is i mean the plague of politicians since the dawn of time i'm going to do this i'm going to do that a you can't promise shit about the future because you don't control it and b you feel so good promising you feel so sure of yourself that when it comes to time to actually doing it it's like nah we're fine I got other shit to deal with and this is how it often you know this you actually sent me a study uh, I think I did yeah ago. it was right uh, when I was being coached by you that's a long time ago yeah I've, I've, I've been searching for it because I wanted to cite it so many times I can't fucking find it um it's been an old I've email kind of, from about 1922 or something I could maybe yeah, have yeah, a look at digging it out <laughs> facts um but yeah, the, the, the study clearly showed there's such a dopamine hit with making a promise that both people, the receiver and the giver, feel so good about it that there's really no need to follow up. So promises can keep a terrible relationship going over and over and over mm. before it finally collapses. Because promise feels like something. It's not. It's nothing. Even if they mean it, it's still nothing. Until so it I can control and predict the future. and No, you can't. They, mm -hmm. You just lied to me. All promises are lies. If you start with that, can really help your relationships you know uh lucy and i had a big talk before our wedding vows because i it took me a long time to get my head around getting married i'd kind of be anti you know let's get the government involved in our relationship type of thing um and i said look one of the things i just can't get my head around is this like till death do us part and sickness and health this promising stuff like i don't know i might turn into a dick how do i know what i'm gonna be you know, you might, you might change into someone I don't want to be with anymore. I don't want to, like, chain myself down here. I don't want to chain you down either. And so we came to an agreement about our vows having no promises for the future, just an expression of how we feel right now and kind of, like, how it might look. And your no, intention. Like, At least your intention. Yeah, intentions. Yeah. It's like, you know, the way I feel right now, I'm, I'm keen to keep going. Not like I definitely will no matter what happens. No. She cheats on me with 16 guys. No, I'm not going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's highly unlikely like, from what I know of Lucy, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, she just doesn't socialize enough for the opportunity. But the, the point being is that, you know, no matter what someone says after you confront them, you kind of don't take it seriously. Just, even if they uh, react badly. Oh, well, fuck, you're too sensitive, blah, blah, blah. Just, just give, it a, give it a week. They might get over that bit and start changing their behavior. Like, Sometimes you, you hit an ego spot. They don't want to back down in front of the crowd, but they will once the, once the crowd stops watching. Mm -hmm. right? I always think whenever you confront someone, the first reaction doesn't matter at all. Just ignore it. 
it gives you some key indicators but it doesn't really tell you anything if it's a really nice reaction it could be a lie if it's a really bad reaction they might calm down and change their behavior later you just don't know unless you know the person well over time with patterns but you just go okay give it like three days you you have in your head like how long do i need before i'll know and don't be scared and go i'll just give it six years no like month max and even if you're married a month max before this becomes a deal breaker mm. okay They've, if somebody can't change their behavior with a month's worth of of practice they're not going to change their behavior mm. okay and i don't mean perfectly change it but let's say you've got a partner of 10 years and look i want you to stop criticizing me so much all right a reduction in criticism would be progress I'd give them that. They're like they're trying. The ten years they've been doing this pattern. It's hard to break, but no reduction or an increase. It's time to start yeah. thinking about divorce, really. So, yeah, the, the generally the approach to deal with manipulation. Call it out. Call out how you feel. And if you're feeling bold enough, you can even use the word manipulation. But you talk about it like ownership. I feel manipulated. Not you're yep. definitely a manipulative narcissist. People use the word narcissist too much. There aren't that many narcissists, okay? There's behavior you thought was narcissistic because you're sensitive, but it's not the same as actually dealing... When you're dealing with a real narcissist, they are... <laughs> I don't know. That word gets used way too much. There seems to be a lot of them because they have a lot of relationships. Um, but true narcissist is, is like... It's an quite alien. a technical it's, term, isn't it? It's not something that yeah, a lot of people... narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah. It's highly antisocial. It's highly psychopathic. The person lives in a world of one where they are God and everybody else is just objects to be moved around. This is a rare type of person. They're also person, people who are just a bit of a dick sometimes. That's not the same. Mm -hmm. There are people who are a bit selfish or people who are insecure to the point where they, you know, they do impulsive, painful. That's not the same. Narcissists cannot change, right? Just like I cannot just think myself into being a black guy. Like I, there's certain things about me that are unchangeable a narcissist has a psychological profile that is unmovable you put them into therapy they get worse not better okay so i mean if they're willing to change they can do some stuff where they manage their behavior but it's essentially just trying to pretend to be a good person and, and live that way it's it's not their true nature it's just doing what's in their best interest long term which is good it works but you're not going to change a narcissist if you're with one you run away that's the only approach. If you're with a psychopathic person, you run as far as you can and you put mm -hmm. up as many barriers between you and them as you can. You do not try to change them. You will lose. But if you're with someone who just has some bad ha ha uh, patterns, habits, conditioning from childhood or whatever, there's room for growth. One thing a narcissist and a psychopath cannot do is change. They cannot change in a significant way in a short period of time. So if somebody is doing that, Maybe they're not a narcissist. Maybe they're just traumatized. Okay. And that's one of the easiest ways to heal a relationship that's been hurt by manipulation, but at the core, the people are good and they're right for each other, is understand you're seeing someone lashing out from their wound. Mm. This isn't a person trying to hurt you. This is an animal caged in the dark, feeling like it's being poked with a stick and it's barking and biting. It's got nothing to do with you. It happened before you arrived. Mm-hmm. You're just here while it happens. You know, when my wife gets like really anxious and sort of not critical, but she's kind of like, did you do that? Did you do this? It's not like she doesn't trust me. She has anxiety. I didn't do that to her. Mm -hmm. 
you know and when i get all stressed out and try to control everything it's not me trying to hurt anybody it's because i spend a lot of my childhood feeling out of control and that bothers me when it happens it triggers me so when you see that in another person give them that benefit of the doubt first but also self-respect it doesn't matter why you're doing this it has to change mm-hmm. you can have all the reasons in the world you can be a good person at the heart but you can't treat me like this mm-hmm. right god i don't have to say that like uh yeah lucy's family can get on my wick a little bit she's like they're good people i'm like yeah but it doesn't matter what matters <laughs> is how they treat me they can be the best people in the world the treatment's not good enough i don't hate them but i do hate that behavior it's got to stop you know, and this way, it doesn't matter why they're doing it. Either the behavior changes or it doesn't. That's the only measurable. Mm. Later on, like I find a lot of people get a lot of peace after a particularly traumatic relationship. If they have been with a narcissist, for example, and been like just taken back six years, it's going to take them to recover kind of thing. It can help to do your research. What is narcissistic personality disorder? How do they function? And you learn about things like love bombing and you start to go, oh, is that what the fuck was happening? Mm. It doesn't hurt to learn all that stuff, right? To, to get into psychology, to learn about manipulation, to learn about uh, psychological disorders and personality disorders and how these people interact with the world. You know, you, you're a wiser person. You're going to see it more. You're going to be less affected. That's certainly a huge pillar of becoming confident in the face of motivation. Um, but ultimately, it's still optional extra. You don't need to know all that stuff to go, I'm affected by something and need to work on that. You know, that's really, if you do that, that's all you need to do. It's more than 50% of the work. It it will do what you need to do to protect yourself. Well, yeah. And I think it's, like I said, very early on in the call, it's, it's an opportunity to, it's like a gift. So with the, uh, with the experience I had with the guy that I mentioned, rather than sitting there blaming him for, for whatever happened, it actually opened up a lot of self-discovery and it sent me down a new little path of like, okay, there's something here that I really need to get a grip to because that shit is not going to happen again. <laughs> not over my dead body. Well, can't promise that, but I'm going to do my best. This My, my radar is going to be way more switched on than it ever was before because of that experience. So in many ways, I'm very grateful of that, but it opened up a new part. It's actually, there's a little bit of healing I need to do here somewhere so I'm not vulnerable to people that have that ability to manipulate in the way that he did. Why was I so vulnerable to that when I'm normally so boundary-based and so assertive and so able to manage myself in the world? So everything that we're faced with is, is absolutely, like you said, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to self-reflect. But again, something that I've heard you say, and I think it's um, very, very true and very accurate and brilliant, basically, we're ne- we can never really be anything to do with anybody in terms of the way that they behave because everything is only a reflection of the the way that they think about it the way that their brain is wired the way that they've been almost like conditioned to respond under particular stimulus which will be different from somebody else's so all we're seeing is that play out and we're just the match that's triggered a little box of dynamite inside them which is another thing you said to me once as well so all we're seeing is everybody just enact sorry not an actor like react to whatever was already inside them before we ever came into their life so we can never really be responsible for anything the way that some people react on anything i mean there's some universal things that if you go around and you kick everybody in the shins they're probably going to have a fairly standard response to you but in terms of things like uh, just the way that people are behaving that we disagree with and we take it personally it's never really personal 
but it can still be, even when somebody's trying to actively manipulate consciously, it's still nothing to do with you because it's still the way that their brain is choosing to behave based on something else that's already inside them. And when you can start getting to that level, I think uh, it, you can become very detached from it and you can identify it, but you're not as vulnerable to being affected by it. Yeah, and that raises actually a really good point because a lot of people have been harmed by manipulation. Their response is to close up mm. and become very lonely and isolated. It's like, you know, they, they have that response. I'm not going to let that happen again. And <laughs> the way they're not going to let that happen again is to prevent any opportunity. Very true. Very true. Um, which is, you know, it's a normal traumatic response. It's, you know, attachment theory covers that. The reason we become avoidant is, you go, okay, I'll just keep everyone away. That'll solve it. <laughs> it kind of does if you don't mind being lonely forever and disconnected forever. Uh, <laughs> but another way is to go like, how do I be open? How can I be safe in myself around being honest? You know, I thought about like the other day uh, I was in the quarantine thing for coming over to New Zealand with COVID and all that and they're giving us very limited time outside during the day long story short I told a little white lie to try and get more time outside the kind of situation anybody would say it's fair enough like half an hour outside a day for a family with a baby it's ridiculous but I knew it was wrong I knew I lied um where was I going with that I had a point shit don't want those things where I lost the point. <laughs> <laughs> Something about oh, going, having a curfew when you had to do a little white lie or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, what am I trying to get to here? Right, being open. <laughs> Fuck that example. Okay. The point is not to close off to protect yourself. It's to become someone who can be open without anything coming back through the door. Mm. Person who can say something that will be judged. And it's okay to be judged. They can take the risk with people. And the way to become that person is actually through even more openness. Openness and being vulnerable to attack are not the same thing. They look like the same thing because that's when it happened. Mm -hmm. But you being vulnerable to, to attack was a separate factor occurring at the same time. You know, correlation. So people think like, oh, I was really open with everyone and they hurt me. So you being open wasn't the problem. Mm -hmm. You being hurtable was the problem. Right. You can be open without that. You know, like I said, we see in the examples of guys like Joe Rogan, Dave Chappelle and stuff. They're very open. They're some of the most honest public profile people on the planet. And yet still untouchable. They know something that you don't. Try to figure out what that thing is. How is it that they can go out without anything coming back in? How is it that when they hear negative feedback, they can respond to it, but without losing who they are, without mm -hmm. being hurt by it? Mm -hmm. Like... Joe Rogan's response to people criticizing his podcast and previous stuff was beautiful. He was able to cherry pick out the stuff that actually was helpful feedback without buying into the narrative that he's a bad person. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, you're right. I said some stupid shit. I'll try and work on that. But I'm still a good person. Like, I, I'm still going to keep doing what I do. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to throw out everything because a few people got upset. Right. So he's able to, like, filter what comes in. Right. Now, that's a whole conversation in and of itself, but long story short is, again, that thing that you're not willing to lose, that identity. Mm -hmm. How do you 
first get okay with losing it and then to replace it with something more fluid more flexible something that no one can harm because it's none of their business you know someone says you're a bad person you go look i've been measuring myself for 10 years i, I don't need that i got this don't you worry you're stupid Meh, if you say so whatever you got to do you know like I, i've got my own intelligence pretty well measured over here i, I got this Right, to get to that point where you measure yourself rather than asking other people to do it for you through their behavior directly or indirectly. Mm -hmm. you know, that I mean, if you're vulnerable to other people choosing how you are, then you'll never be safe from, you could be around the nicest people in the world and you'll be manipulated unintentionally by them. You'll be manipulated by Facebook. You'll be manipulated by your bank account. You'll be totally open to attack all the time. It's got nothing to do with how open you are with other people, how willing to connect you are. Mm. You know? So I'm not even really sure where I'm going with that. I think it might even be a whole topic on its own, but just the idea, like if you can get to a point where your validation is your job, you figure out if you're a good person, you figure out what the rules and the principles are, you measure how well you're living by them. When somebody else tries to step in on that area, you just say, ah, I got this. I got this mom. You know, take a step back, you know, I'm an adult now, I figured it out, you, you just stay over there in your space. And it won't be all like bitter and resentful and defensive, it's just a kind of like, nah, you're over the line, back, 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 there you go. If someone keeps stepping over the line, you're like, okay, you, you're actually not a good person, I'm out of here. In general, I'm talking about years and years of work that never actually ends fully, keep working on it, but there's certainly a point we can get to the stage where you simultaneously hold the belief that I'm open to being manipulated, but I've got this as well. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. It's going to be brief. I'm going to get on top of it early. I'm going to have the humility to say, ah, you got me, but you only got me once. Now, fuck off. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You can get to that spot, and that spot's maybe as good as it gets. You know, but it's good enough, I think, personally. Awesome. By the way, if you can hear any massive shuffling around, flappy lips, snoring, it's not me, it's my dog. He's just started, just woken up, just making all the racket in the background on the off chance you could hear that. Anyway, um, yeah, so wow, Dan, we've been talking for nearly two hours, not far off it. So it's always so fascinating to hear your views on this stuff. We've covered child rearing. We've covered, like, I, do you know what? I can't even listen. We've covered a lot of different things. So do you have any final thoughts and also let people know where they can find you if they want to reach out or want to have any form of coaching with you or any follow your content or whatever? Cool. Well, I mean, last thing first, I just prefer personal contact. So people can just email me, dan at brojo.org. Or if you want to check out the work, just go to brojo.org and there's all the articles and everything, all stuff there, videos, et cetera, courses, all sorts of shit. And the community, Brojo communities, or sort of starts there. So that's your starting point. Um, final thoughts. Look, I just want to speak to the people who have been manipulated and they're feeling really bad about themselves for having let it happen, you know, for, mm. for falling victim to it. Uh, the loss of trust, maybe the resentment they have towards themselves for being a victim. Feeling silly. Look, the words victim of manipulation and human being can be interchanged without losing any meaning. All right. It is impossible. 
I mean, in a sense that manipulation happens all the time and it's beyond your conscious awareness, through to the fact that no matter how confident and savvy and whatever street smart you are, there's someone out there better than you and it's only a matter of time before you cross paths and they you've got something that they want and you're going to lose that one, right? And what you'll realize is that if you survived a big hit, you've actually had a valuable life lesson that somebody else hasn't had. The reason I'm so skilled, I'd say, in managing manipulation well is because I spent seven years working with criminals who beat me at it. Right? <laughs> and it's because I had relationship after relationship with women who beat me at it. Right? And because I've seen myself do it to other people and, and regretted my behavior and felt guilty about what I've done. It's the losses that taught me. Right? Reading books and shit, I only read that after the fact. Right? That just helped me understand what had happened. But it already happened. And Whatever hit you took, however bad you feel about yourself, that lack of trust you have in yourself now, that's not the correct response to this. The correct response is, okay, what did I learn? Mm-hmm. All right. Or as you put it, like, how do I make sure that doesn't happen again? How do I change me to reduce the risk of that? Reduce lesson? the risk. I like that because you can't become bulletproof from it, but you can damn well reduce that risk. Yeah, you can certainly shut the door to the maximum possible extent so only a little bit of that bad light comes through kind of thing. Like, you can't become immune, but the amount of hit you take can certainly be reduced, and it starts internally, and there's nobody listening to this that does not have the capability to work on that, right? But you got to focus on you, not them. I was with a narcissist. Yeah, you chose a narcissist. Why'd you do that? Mm-hmm. He abused me. You let him abuse you continuously. Why'd you do that? He had me doubting who I really was. Why do you doubt yourself? Where do you get your information from? How do you get to a point where that's less, the, the door to that's not open to someone else, where self-doubt is something you measure and deal with on your own? Stop blaming other people for you being manipulated. Look, manipulators don't choose their victims at random, right? Whether it's the energy, spiritual sense that you know, whether it's micro body language and voice tone, I don't know what the fuck it is. The honest answer is I don't know how they know, but they fucking know. (laughs) I've asked many, many criminals, how do you choose your people? And I just look at them, I just know it's them. That's the person who's not going to put up a fight. That's the person. No narcissist is looking for a fight they're going to lose. They want a guaranteed win. No bully is looking for a victim who's going to fight back and make them look stupid. They're looking for the victim who's going to bow down and grovel. And they know how to see it. So if you're being targeted repeatedly for manipulation, if you find that this happens to you a lot, it's you. Those people, those sharks, they smell the blood in the water. They come to where the bleeding is. That's it. They don't go, I'm going to randomly bully that person. Mm-hmm it's the opposite of that they go who's the easiest and they carefully they test and prod and they see how people react you see the guy banter in the workroom and somebody gets a bit sensitive and suddenly they're targeting that person mm. oh, that, that's the one that's where i get my jollies from to prove that i'm a man and silence the voice in my head that i'm a little pussy or whatever it is that they're dealing with you know you can become kind of invisible 
or repellent is maybe a better word to the bullies and the narcissists and the people who generally seek to harm because they can look at you and whether it's energy or body language or it's a test of behavior back and forth that kind of gives them information then go that's not worth the fight that one's a fighter that's going to be hard work i'm going to get caught so true um the um you and i've talked about this before but when somebody throws in like a comment that is probably just pushing the boundary a bit like on the cusp of being rude but they'll disguise it as oh, i'm just having a bit of fun bit of banter and when people don't stand up for themselves if it if it cuts a bit and they just join in with the laughter and think well if i just laugh i'll blend in with this roar of laughter that everybody's laughing at the same thing they won't notice i'm affected you've just told that person i'm not going to stand up for myself You've basically just put your hand up and said, me, pick on me, because now you know that I don't have firm boundaries. You've just ID'd yourself as the person that won't actually say, hey, that's no, that's not okay, mate. You're not going to go there with me. So actually, by trying to blend in and be the people pleaser and try and manipulate back almost, you've just ID'd yourself as the easy target because you've just said, I don't hold boundaries. Now, this is actually one of the most important points the first battle is the most significant one i want to i'll finish with a little story that i got taught in department of corrections called downing the duck now the duck is a, a name for a target in a prison like if who who's the guard that you're going to target mm-hmm. for corruption and so they choose their ducks and they work on these ducks for like a year more they're very patient they've got a life sentence to serve there's no rush and it was a story from a prisoner. He actually sent this to the parole board after he escaped from prison. He told the story of how he got out by downing the duck. I won't do the whole story because it's fucking long. But what it comes down to is he, he identified his target, an arrogant, um, isolated person. He went through a few various things to kind of get in close with the guy. But there came this critical moment where in front of the guard, he went just a little bit into another prisoner's cell to talk to him. He's not allowed to do that. But what he wanted to establish is how is he going to react to that very tiny breach? Mm-hmm. And the guy said nothing. He'd already established like a matey relationship with him. He had uh, actually, he set up a fight that he saved the guard from. The whole fight was orchestrated. He set up a situation like, oh, I got your back. Don't you worry. You're one of our boys now, you know certain guys that we respect the most and you're one of them and we're going to make sure nothing happens to you it's this whole game that they do and then he just he like a couple of feet in it's like that thing where you're like is that worth saying something about it's not technically a total mm-hmm. and they know this like asking for an extra pencil there's all these little ones that they do that they go like it's so barely breaking the rules no it's not barely breaking the rules it's the tip of the wedge into the door and so he goes if he does that then i'll double up next time start like going into cells in front of them create a pattern that now it's awkward to bring it up and then you start like increasing the wants and eventually get the guy to actually breach his contract and then you can use that against him so you know he built up to eventually the guy received a package on his behalf and he said okay that package had drugs in it you didn't know that but now you do we're going to tell your warden if you don't do other stuff for us just turned on him but as you said, the little bit of banter, your first day at work, you're a bit new, it's awkward, you don't really want to say anything, it's just like you're excited to be there, you're not sure what the culture is, and somebody says something and it's just a bit off. And you're like, well, what do I know? Well, actually, you know. You know you. It doesn't matter what the fucking culture is. Maybe the culture of this place is toxic and they need some fresh blood in here. 
Who knows what's going on? All you know is it wasn't right. If you do not address that little toe across the line, as Angie just said, you're saying, me, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. And that's how they smell you. Mm. It's not just a vibe and it's not just body language. Oh, they always test it first. You know, I remember I used to walk around, uh, I, I lived in quite a rough neighborhood as a teenager. Walk around and, and the thing, um, people would just say, hey. And if you looked at them, they'd be like, fuck you looking at? And they'd chase you. <laughs> it's just this, it's this weird game. And so we walk around, you hear hate, and you're like, don't fucking look. Right? But I, it took me ages to realize, and too late to realize it, me trying not to look and pretending I didn't hear was the signal they were looking for. That's mm. a guy who won't stand up. And so then they'll chase me. Right. I never got to try this, but if I'd been like, what? What do you want? They probably would have been like, oh, nothing, bro. What's up? Blah, blah, blah. Mm. You know, if I'd shown, like, I'm here, I'll fight, I'll scrap. You know, you might win this one, but it's going to hurt you. If I'd shown that, it would have been like, it's deflating to them. It actually calms them down. I learned this later in life, you know, with prisoners, is they got quite calm around me after I learned to hold myself a certain way. But when I first walked into prisons, they'd all bark at me and do all the weird shit that they do to, well, you, you know. So, as Angie's pointed out, like, you got to fight every battle. Anytime you don't feel right, just call it out. Because if you don't, they're going to go, that's the person who doesn't call it out. Mm. You know, this is how pedophiles function. They go, who's the kid who's not going to tell on me? And they test for that. I think uh, a quick um, quote from Jordan Peterson. I know he can be quite a controversial guy. I think he does like say that. some incredible things, though. But he said something once, I was like, he's bang on there. He said, when you're, in, when you're with somebody and they're manipulating you, the best way they'll do it is they'll take two millimeters at a time of your space and you don't know mm. it and you don't notice it because it's so small and you think, oh, I can't mention this. I look like a right idiot if I call it out, whatever. It's two millimeters. And then they'll take another two millimeters and then they'll take another two millimeters and it'll be so subtle, you won't barely even notice it. And then about a year later, you look back and go, I'm a frigging mile away from where I started. How did I get here? And that's how it's done so subtly and so discreetly to the point where you're like, oh my God, how am I here? And he, he put it beautifully in that little statement. And again, I'm a little bit wary of mentioning because some people hate him. I'm still on the fence with him, but some of the stuff he says is cracking. But that particular point that he made was absolutely bang on the money as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And if, if nothing else, he's an expert in pathological behavior. Mm. Um, and, you know, a year... A year is how long it took that pedophile to con me so that he could reoffend. He took a year to do it, one 10 minute meeting at a time. Mm-hmm. He just moved the needle a little bit. Sometimes he didn't move it at all just to create a sense of space, to create a sense of nothing's happening. It was, I've never been played like that. It was invisible, except it wasn't because there was a couple of times where it didn't feel right and I didn't act. Amazing. Right, here we go. Let's we might as well wrap up again. <laughs> We've already done it once, we're supposed to do it again. Dan, just remind us again where people can find you, emails, websites, whatever. Dan at brojo.org and brojo.org, the website. That'll get you started. Everything else flows from there. Yeah. Basically, if you want to work with me, just contact me. You don't need to go the long way about it. I just like to talk to people directly as soon as possible. 
And I can personally vouch you will gain a lot from working with Dan because he is genuinely excellent at what he does. So if you're on the fence and you're contemplating it, don't hesitate. Just get in there. See for yourself. Yeah, we can just do a free session. You'll either like it or you won't. It'll be <laughs> no manipulation. <laughs> well, actually, it'll be all manipulation, but for your benefit. Yeah, in a good way. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time, Dan. I thoroughly enjoyed it. See you later. Bye-bye. Ciao.